Colossians 4, beginning at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The word of the Lord. By the way, if you are here for the first time today, it's our, our custom for the first Sunday of every month to celebrate communion together. So the service looks a little bit different on those days. There's fewer worship songs at the beginning, but the way that we do communion here is that it's very stretched out. It's a prolonged season of worship. We probably move through about five to six songs during that time. Uh, We come forward and kneel to take communion. Uh, We believe that communion is not just merely a ritual or remembrance. It's actually an encounter with Jesus at his table. And so it's a very important part of our worship and our life as a church. So you will catch on quickly as we move into that time. So let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Father, we come this morning a people in desperate need of renewal. Now, we may or may not be aware of our need of your coming to renew our hearts, but we all need your refreshment and renewal. So no matter where we are this morning, some of us tired, some of us worried and anxious, some of us distracted, some of us bored, And some of us just absolutely broken. I pray that you would meet each one of us with your spirit. And that you would speak your powerful word of hope and grace and life. Speak it into our hearts. So that we would see Jesus. So that we would behold his glory. And that we would be changed. Your people energized to serve you throughout our lives. Come and work in us what is pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's start with a question for the kids. We'll often start our sermons in this way to involve our kids, and sometimes they're eager to participate, sometimes not. But I got a question for you kids. Do you ever, uh, well let me ask this, When, when something really exciting happens in your life, you get to see something really cool, or you get to experience something really great in your life, it might be like acing a test. It might be like, you know, winning the team, uh, making a great shot in a game. Uh, it might be winning that part in the school play. Whatever it is, whenever something really exciting and great comes in your life, what is almost your first natural reaction after that? What do you want to do? Like, say, after the game or after it's happened and when you get home. What is one of the first things you want to do? Kind of hard to know what I'm hunting for. Celebrate. Celebrate. Okay, that's good, right? And you don't want to just celebrate by yourself, right? You want to tell people. It's one of the most natural things whenever something really, really good happens in your life, you have a natural desire to share that with others. Very natural. This past week, I took the boys fishing. And we go fishing, and 
they, they caught fish. They had a great time, and they're, they're catching fish, and the fish were about that big, but, you know, in the story, they get that big. And they had a great time, and whenever we got home, what do you imagine was the first thing they did when they walk home, um, Mom and May stayed at home. What is one of the first things they did, do you imagine, as soon as they walked in the door whenever they got home? All of them at the same time are telling Mom what they caught and what happened. And it's like, you know, three or four voices at the same time trying to talk over each other. It's a little chaotic. They were wanting to tell. I didn't have to say before that. Now, listen, guys, when we get home, you need to make sure and tell your mom how you did. I didn't have to do that. Why? Because it's just natural that whenever something really good happens, whenever you hear a piece of good news, the most natural inclination in the world is to share it. Because as C.S. Lewis says, it's the sharing of it that enhances the enjoyment of it. It's natural for all of us. When we encounter something wonderful, whenever we hear good news, we want to share it. We do it so naturally in our lives. Good news must be shared. And now in the Bible, what is the word, kids, for good news? Come on, don't let me down here. We went over this in our class. H. Gospel. Gotta wake up, guys. Gospel, right? It means good news. And therefore, at its heart, it's something to be shared. So we're going to close out our vision series today. We've taken the, uh, the past three Sundays, concluding it today with a vision series. Where we've been talking about as a church, why are we here? What are we called to do? Why has God put us in this place? What, what does He have us to do in the world? We're talking about what is God's vision for our church. And we've talked about a number of things. We talked about how we're called to seek the common good of Dade County. We don't exist for the good of our church. We exist for the good of those who are outside of our church. That's a part of the heart of what it means to God's people. We've seen that we're called to be a people who are seeking shalom. That God is at work renewing all things and we're to be seeking and praying for that. We saw last week that we're to be praying continually that God would bring His kingdom and all of its fullness to the earth. It's the heart of the Lord's prayer. So we're to be a people that are seeking this thing that God is doing that is bigger than just our church. And we've seen a common theme is prayer. Prayer is mission. It's at the heart of our vision as a church that we would be a people who are trusting and asking God to do something that He has promised to do. This week we're going to talk about bearing witness to the gospel. And we believe that the gospel... And making the gospel known is at the heart of our mission. The heart of what we're called to do. All those things that we've talked about, the common good and the coming of God's kingdom and the coming of shalom, all of that comes through the power of the gospel message. So we're going to hone in on that today. Our calling as a people to bear witness to the gospel. As we talk about this, I imagine it makes us feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe even a little guilty. Because we all know deep down, if you're a believer, if you've been following Jesus for some time, you know that we are to share our faith. That this is something that we're to make known. That, that bearing witness to the gospel is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But the reality is, it's hard. 
it's scary. It's hard to think about sharing our faith. I mean, how often are we just talking about Jesus in everyday conversations? And I don't just mean when you're thinking, okay, I'm going to try to work this in in some way because I've got to get to it. But I'm saying, does, does our joy in Christ just make its way into our conversation with each other and those outside of our body here? As we talk about bearing witness to the gospel, for many of us, it brings a sense of guilt. Like, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do in this area. For some of us, it brings a sense of fear. Like, a sense of inadequacy. Like, I don't know what to say. What if I, I start to talk about my faith and, like, they ask a question I can't answer? Or, or what if I, I'm trying to talk about it and it just makes no sense at all? So... This is a thing that's hard for us. I just want to acknowledge at the beginning here as we move into the passage that bearing witness to this good news, which we actually believe, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is the best news that's ever been shared. That's what we believe. And that it has impact for the whole world. But let's just acknowledge at the beginning, for some reason, this particular news is often so hard to share. So we're going to talk about that in the passage, and we're going to talk about mainly how to be a witness for the gospel and what is the driving motivation of our witness. What is going to compel us to be a people who are sharing and announcing good news? So let's jump into our passage here. Again, Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. We're at the end of the book here. And one of the things I want you to just notice in this little section we're looking at here is that really the focus in this little section is making the gospel known. It's practical instruction. It's actually talking about, it's really centering on prayer. But how do we as a people, he's, again, he's speaking to a church here, a church in Colossae. How do we as a people Make the gospel known. That's the heart of this. Now, one of the things to notice and to realize about Christianity is that the gospel is at the heart of Christianity. We actually believe that it is through a message that God transforms the world. That's what the scriptures teach. If you're familiar at all with Christianity and the word, you know that it is by God's word that he creates everything. At the very beginning, how did God make the heavens and the earth? He spoke them into existence. It is by God's word that God works. It's how he exercises his power. It is his power. And not only is God's word how he creates things, it's how he recreates things, how he redeems, how he transforms, how he saves. And so when we're talking about the gospel, we're really seeing that this is God's powerful gospel word that he uses to transform. We learn at the beginning of the book of Colossians, Paul says that this gospel all over the world is bearing fruit and growing. That the gospel itself not just has power, but Paul will say in many places the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Not only for getting into relationship with God, getting into the kingdom of God, but the gospel is also how we grow. It is through this message that God transforms us. So we talk a lot of, as a church that the gospel is not just how you get in. It's not just that basic information you need to get at the beginning of the Christian life and then you move on to more 
uh, mature and sophisticated things. The gospel is actually how you mature and grow. We never graduate beyond the gospel. Why? Because it is his power to transform. But there's something else to see just about what is the gospel in this passage. Just notice whenever Paul here in verse 3, he's calling on them to pray for his proclamation of the gospel. Paul's an apostle here. But notice what he says here, just the the phrase that he uses to summarize the gospel. Verse 3, second part of verse 3. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. The mystery of Christ in this place is a shorthand for the gospel. That's Paul's like little mini summary. What is the gospel news? It's the mystery of Christ. Now question, why does he call it a mystery? What is a mystery? Think in your life. A mystery is something that doesn't make sense entirely. A mystery is something that doesn't work the way you think it would work. It's not logically how everything else works. It's something you can't exactly explain how that happened. Or why it happened in that way. This past week, we were, as a family, we were watching uh, America's Got Talent. And, you know, they have all kinds of different acts and things that are coming up on there. And they had this magician on there. And this guy comes up, and he starts doing this stuff with this, you know, card trick. You You see all kinds of card tricks. This card trick was pretty incredible. And what was cool to see is just like in, in us, as we're watching him do this stuff, you know, he's making cards disappear, all kinds of stuff. We were amazed. I mean, we were locked in. We were like, what is happening? The whole audience on TV were just, their breath was taken. They couldn't figure it out. We're watching this guy. He's making cards disappear. He takes a card. Somebody, somebody pulls out of a deck. He opens his shirt. It's tattooed on his chest. And I'm like, okay, I get there's tricks, but what? How does that work? You see, that is at the heart of the gospel. For Paul, he's saying, look, this is a mystery. If you look at the gospel and you say, yeah, it makes sense, you don't get it. You see, for Paul, the gospel is the inverse of everything that we would think about how God works in the world. The the gospel is the opposite about how the world works, about how we do things. The righteous do not die for the unrighteous. Sinners do not take and bear the guilt. uh, uh, Holy people do not bear the guilt of sinners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? It's upside down. How would God... So you think about the gospel story, so... God's creation has rebelled against him. The whole earth is full of sin and rebellion. The great question of the Bible is, what will God do? How will he rescue his creation? Will he give up on it? You know, in the Bible, he selects a particular people to make his salvation known and to bring his kingdom, but they fail. So the great question of the Bible is, how is he going to do this? He's going to have to give up. And Paul says, no, no, the mystery of the gospel is that God's got an ace up his sleeve. He's about to do something no one would conceive of. And what is that ace? It's Jesus. It's the mystery of Christ. First Peter says that the angels long to look into the reality of the gospel. 
Just imagine that for a minute. The angels in heaven have beheld God's glory for all of eternity. They've seen his holiness. They've seen the beauty of who he is. They've seen his majesty. And they're watching the earth in open rebellion in utter shock. What would God do? What's he going to do next? And then when they begin to see the gospel actually take place. Wait a minute. You mean you, the holy God, are going to become a part of your creation? You're going to, the, the author is going to enter the story and you're going to die for them? Can you just imagine the angels just in utter shock as they're watching what God is doing? What a mystery. Paul says that the gospel is foolishness to the world. You know, in the world, suffering is not how you grow. Suffering is something to be avoided. And in the world, death is something to avoid at every cost, right? Do everything you can to avoid loss and to avoid giving up your life and to avoid losing your money and to avoid death. Prolong your life as long as you can. And yet, in the gospel, we see that death is the way to life. It is through the cross that God brings resurrection. Do you see the mystery of the gospel? And listen, if you don't look at the gospel and you're not amazed and struck with mystery, you've lost your understanding of it. You've lost your grip of it. It's so easy in the Bible Belt to become so familiar to the gospel that it doesn't amaze us anymore. But we've got to just meditate on the reality of the gospel so that the mystery begins to disrupt us and begin to change us. Our calling as a people is to be a people through our life and through our words that make the mystery of the gospel known in Dade County. That's our calling. We also see a great picture in the passage from how do we be a gospel witness? What does it exactly look like? Look again at the passage. What does Paul say in verse 2 at the very beginning? Really, the heart and the starting place of gospel witness is prayer. Is prayer. Praying for opportunities to share the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And then in verse 3, he says, and pray for us too. Paul asked them to pray for his ministry. Pray that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Just don't miss the significance of that. At the heart of bearing gospel witness is prayer. That's where it starts. That's the beginning place. That's the power of witness. Not in our words, not in what we do, but it's in prayer. Because here's the reality, and you see it very clearly in Paul's understanding. Unless God does something, what I'm doing, what I'm sharing, has no effect. See, what does he ask them to pray? I want you to pray. Here's what I need. This is what Paul's saying. I need you to pray that God's going to open a door. Unless he opens a door, all my proclaiming of the gospel is just going to fall on deaf ears. It won't do anything. You see, Paul understands that God is at work in every situation, behind the scenes, and unless God opens someone's ears, opens their hearts, whether he's doing it through circumstances or just zapping them, God has got to open their hearts or they'll never hear 
See, that gives a great peace and just get, let you relax in being a witness. Because you realize, you know, it's not up to what I say. Now, Paul does secondly pray, would you pray that I would proclaim it clearly? I mean, Paul says, I, God, it's not my, my, my smarts, my knowledge, my words that are going to do this. I need your help. Give me your words. Let me make it clear. So he wants it to be clear, but, but that's not what it's based on. The effectiveness on bearing witness to the gospel is not anything in us, but the power of God that is at work in someone's heart. You see, unless he does that, you're just talking into the air. That's kind of freeing. Because oftentimes as we think about sharing the gospel or uh, telling our, our testimony, our story of coming to Christ, we think, I don't know what to say. What if I say it wrong? Hey, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I could say it all right. Unless God's open in their heart, there's no effect. So that's our starting place. That being a gospel witness starts for praying for opportunities that God would create opportunities and open doors for us to share. But secondly, we see in the passage that we're called to a watchfulness, to be watching and alert at all times. See that in a number of places. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful. That is, as you're praying and as you're going through life, you have this attitude of watching, this this, uh, understanding that that I'm looking. God's at work here. I'm alert. He says it all in verse 5. Uh, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most, most of every opportunity. It's this idea that everywhere I go, everyone that I'm encountering, I'm watching to see what's God doing here. Now, I'm waiting for an opportunity. I'm seeing. You know, I have an assumption, an expectation. That actually comes from prayer. The more that you pray for this, the more that you're going to begin to think like this, the more that you're going to be Eyes wide open, alert, looking for those opportunities. But it's also possible to just not even be aware. I do this all the time. I mean, it's like in certain, certain places I go, I'm like, hey, okay, this is ministry time, so I'm going to be really waiting for the opportunity here. But then I have these other areas of my life where I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm off ministry time. I'm just going to, I'm not watching. I'm not going. I'm not looking. I'm not saying, God, what, what are you doing here? Where are opportunities? A person might initiate a conversation. They might ask a question. They might share something about their life. If I'm not watching, I'm missing all of that. It's just about me. So it's critical in gospel witness that you have this expectation that you're looking. You're alert. You're watching for what God is doing and doors that he's opening. So we're praying for opportunities. We're watchful at all time. And then finally, we respond with grace and truth. Notice, notice how when he's talking about Paul here, when Paul is talking, he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly so that we may proclaim the mystery. The way he describes his calling is a proclamation of the gospel. He says we, he's talking about himself and the other apostles. Their primary calling is to proclaim. We see that in Acts. They go into places. They go into the marketplace. They go into the synagogue, they stand up, and they begin announcing the gospel. That's their calling as apostles. But notice in verse 6 how he describes our primary role in the body and those at Colossae. Look at what he says. 
Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Do you notice the difference? For Paul and the apostles, it's proclamation. But for most of the believers in the church at Colossae, and for most of us, it's not proclamation. It's responding. It's answering. See, for some of us, that might relieve some anxiety here. You might have a little guilt that you're not somebody who's knocking on doors and who's going out to the street corner and who's, who's the one at work who's always telling everybody. Well, I just don't think that's our calling. For most of us, let me say, that's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to discourage anybody from proclaiming the gospel. But I'm just trying to say that the ordinary calling for most of us is a responding when someone asks a question. You see, what he says here is, let your conversation, that's speech there. Literally, he says speech. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Before that, in verse 5, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Again, it's this idea that I'm living among people in such a way that they're going to be curious and ask questions. Right? I'm, I'm living out the gospel in my life. I'm loving people. I'm serving people. I'm, I'm suffering patiently in my life. I'm following Jesus. And so people in my life are going to begin to ask me questions. They're going to be curious. They're going to start to come to me to, to share things that they're struggling with in their life. Have you ever experienced this? This just happens when you're just following Jesus and loving people. You don't have to say, I've got to be the evangelist of the office here. You just got to say, I want to bear witness to Jesus. I want to love my coworkers. You know what's going to happen? You're going to have all kinds of opportunities to respond. To respond to their questions about who Christ is and about the gospel. First Peter says the same thing. He says, always be prepared what? to give an answer for the hope that you have in Christ. See, for most of us, that's how we bear witness. We live it out and we look for opportunities to respond as people become curious and we're able to engage in conversation. So those are three fundamental ways of what it means to bear witness to the gospel. But I think there's something even more critical as we think about how do we become a people? How do we become a good news people? A people who joyfully shared the gospel. And I think it's this. The most fundamental aspect of our witness is gospel joy. That's the heart of it. I can less, unless this news fills you with such joy and amazement, you're not going to share it. It's going to be a duty. You see, that's the most critical thing. It's got to be good news for you in order for it to ever be good news for anybody else. And it's got to be good news for you in order for you to become a person who's eager to share it. And listen, that's the way we ought to be sharing it, with great joy. And so the question is, is it good news to you? Is it amazing you? Is the mystery of it capturing your heart? Is it operating in your life? Are you preaching it to yourself? We talk about that a lot. We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves daily and preach it to ourselves until our hearts catch fire. Because when that happens, you're going to share. You're going to begin to share it. At the beginning of the book of Colossians, Paul says that the way the gospel 
begins to transform and affect our lives is as this. This is what he says. As we understand God's grace in all of its truth. That's how it happens. Where does that gospel joy come from? It's only when you see the magnitude of his grace for you. It's got to get personal. When you see, ah, this is for me. See, for it to amaze you like that, first you've got to see the depth of your sin. You've got to see that uh, what, what I deserve is your wrath. I've sinned against you. My heart is bent on running the other way. And yet, you've at the same time got to see the full sufficiency and power of the cross to cover you entirely. And when you see those two things at the same time, what's the result? Joy. That's how it becomes good news. That's how you come to understand God's grace in all of its truth. And when that is happening in your heart daily, you're going to be amazed at the gospel. It's going to be good news. It's going to be good news that you can't help but share. An illustration for this, if, if any of you know my wife Ashley, you know that one of her greatest passions in life is Aldi. Y'all know what Aldi is? It's a grocery store. I don't get it. It's a grocery store that's like 10 hours away in Fort Oglethorpe, right? But guess what? She keeps loading up her 15 kids and driving over the mountain to go to Aldi to shop. Why would she go through such torture? Here's another thing you notice. If you're with Ashley, I bet if you know her, you've heard her talk about Aldi. In fact, you're in a conversation, she's looking for an angle to work in Aldi. You know, you're talking about weather, you're talking about sports, and she's like, so you've been to Aldi? You're like, whoa, wait a minute, what happened here? She has an infectious joy about Aldi, and she wants everybody to know about it. Now, if you are around her, you think, wait a minute, what, is she on the payroll? Do you, do you get like a kickback or a percentage of, do I need to tell them I'm referred by Ashley or something? No, none of that's happening. Why does she do that? It's kind of obvious, right? Because she is amazed at Aldi. She's truly amazed. She is amazed at how cheap it is. And one thing about her, she loves to save money. She is is amazed at what you get for the price. And she wants other people to experience that. She's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is such a secret. Why doesn't everybody go to shop here? She doesn't think that that's going to ruin the whole thing. But she's thinking, I want everybody to share in this. You see, it's personal experience for her. She is amazed personally at her experience of Aldi. And so it makes her an infectious evangelist of Aldi. See, there's nothing like an amazed witness. There is nothing like someone who is sharing the gospel who cannot get over the wonder of it. Who's like, I I can't believe it's for me. You see, that is the driving motivation of gospel witness, of never losing your personal amazement over it. And if you're in a place where you've lost your amazement, it's very simple. Just go to it. Just meditate on it. Repent and believe the gospel. And your amazement will grow. And that's our calling as a people, to just be a people in Dade County who cannot get over the gospel. Who are like, I cannot believe God has done this. And he did it for me. And he did it for you too. It's a powerful witness. This morning we get an opportunity 
to experience the gospel very tangibly through communion. That's what communion is. It's an experience of the gospel. And you know, the church has called communion and baptism, it's called them sacraments. You know what the word sacrament is kind of an old religious word. You know what sacrament actually means? Mystery. It's a mystery. In some mysterious way, we come to this table and we feed on Jesus. As I said earlier, it's not just a reminder, it is that. It's pointing us back to the gospel, to the heart of the gospel of Jesus dying and taking our place and becoming our substitute. It's pointing us to that, but it's actually an experience of it. We feed upon him. We encounter him in this table. The, the Celtic Christian tradition used to call this a thin place. They would talk about thin places. That is, places and experiences where, where the, the distance between heaven and earth is just so thin. It's like there's an overlap. It's like a, it's a holy place where God's presence can be experienced in a way that it can't in ordinary places. Communion is a thin place where the veil between heaven and earth is lifted. Where we get so close to Jesus. And guess what? I can't explain that. I don't, I can't, I don't think we're supposed to. He just says, come and eat. That's what he says. He doesn't explain it. Because it's a thin place, it's a holy place. Communion is a holy place. And we, by grace, get to come and meet with Him and feast upon Him. But it also can be dangerous. Holy places are always dangerous in the Scriptures. If you come into a holy place willy-nilly or you come unprepared and uncleansed, it's dangerous. So that's why we talk each week whenever we come into communion that it's very important that we come having confessed our sins. That we are coming to take communion trusting only in Christ and not ourselves. And so that's why we say each week, I'll say it again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, communion is dangerous. It's just, Scripture warns us from it. You should not take communion if you're unsure of where you are with Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, if you're walking in unrepentant sin, if you are estranged from another believer. Listen, take this time to go and be reconciled. Fix that and then come to the table. Right? Because this is a holy place. This is why we start with a prayer of confession. It gives us an opportunity to come before the Lord, looking to Jesus and say, look, look, I've been wrong. I've sinned. I'm not hiding. Cleanse me so that I am prepared and made holy to come into your presence.